Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. O come, Emmanuel, says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou dayspring from on high, and cheer us by thy dawning nigh. Disperse thy gloomy clouds, those gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadow put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high, and close the path to misery. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And I love this final verse. O come, Adonai, Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times did give the law in cloud and majesty and in all. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. What a powerful, powerful song as we jump into this series on Advent. Each and every year, um, Christians across this amazing planet that God has made uh, celebrate the season of Advent together. Um, be dispersed, but we are all together in one accord in our, in our focus. It is a sacred time that's set apart to reflect on the true meaning of Christmas. This is something that we miss a lot, and I hope to, I hope to kind of dig into that a little bit today and get our minds and hearts back on the right track. Although the word Advent does have a definite meaning, it also has a uniquely Christian significance, the word Advent does, um, which can't, uh, we can't afford to lose. The significance is too big. The word means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. So you can kind of think something like electricity, the advent of electricity, the advent of the iPhone. That might be more widely known to everybody here. Anyway, however, in Christianity, uh, advent has to do with the arrival of one, one person, King Jesus, right? Uh, as it is with anything, though, context matters in that arrival. What, what is all of this really about? Um, so we need to look to historical context, we need to look to cultural context, we need to look to spiritual context, which are all critical in understanding God's storyline, okay? Um, without these particular contexts, uh, fixating on the arrival of a first century baby Jewish boy wouldn't really make a great deal of sense. As a matter of fact, uh, I believe that it is because we don't know what this is about that we only put it into the category of some uh, person named Jesus' birthday some time ago that we've actually lost all the meaning. We just, okay, so we celebrate a birthday of somebody and we move on. But it is far more than that. So anytime we reduce this thing to just that mere birthday, I think we are uh, in jeopardy of losing Christmas altogether. So even if you're new to the faith or if you've been in church your entire life, 
the next four weeks will provide a better understanding of Advent, of God's story set within its particular context. So the first section, the first thing that I want to talk to you about today is this idea of a happy birthday to Jesus. It's rather innocuous, uh, this view, uh, that this season is merely a birthday celebration of Jesus. Uh, And while it is true, at least in some sense, that we're celebrating Jesus' birthday, I love the line in one of the songs, uh, God, Christ is begotten, he is not created, right? So uh, are we celebrating his birthday? Yes, I guess, right? (laughs) At least his birthday in the flesh. Um, So so a birthday for Jesus uh, significantly downplays what he actually was. And I hope everybody knows who Jesus really is or what Jesus was. King of kings and Lord of lords. He was that. He is that. He always will be that, right? So these are really important ideas. You see, the custom of observing birthdays actually began in ancient Egypt. At least that's when we have historical understanding of this. Prehistory is another matter. But these observations were not for the average person. So a birthday didn't happen for the average person. These celebrations were reserved for kings. They were reserved for key religious figures. Now, of course... We know Jesus is both, but uh, did they understand that or did they hope that that was true when Jesus came? We'll figure that out. Scripture confirms that this uh, special honor was given uh, to these kings as recorded in Pharaoh's birthday of Genesis chapter 40 or uh, Herod's birthday in Matthew chapter 14 or Mark chapter 6. History also shows that the, the term birthday... Uh, was used, uh, was applied to the date of a king's ascension to the throne. So, not just the day of someone's birth, but the day they were installed as king, ascending to the throne, that was their birthday. Um, We don't see birthdays for the average human being, uh, the average man, until much later, and definitely not for women until much later, until under the Roman Empire. That's when we finally see birthdays at least somewhat regularly. Uh, Even then, they were only celebrated during major milestones. So let's say because of life expectancy, uh, 50 years old was a major milestone, which it was. Some of you guys don't even realize how fortunate we are to live to the ripe old age of 100 and whatever we do today. I mean, it's amazing what we do. But 50 was a major milestone. And so that may warrant, uh, may have warranted a, a birthday celebration back in the day. So again, uh, mere birthday for Jesus doesn't seem to cut it when we really look at all of this. Unless we're, unless we're rightly understanding who Jesus is, which is King of kings and Lord of lords, it's not just happy birthday Jesus. Okay, what about presents? This is everybody's favorite part. All the kids, plug your ears, please, really quick. Is Advent about presents? The answer is no. And it never will be, right? Much of what we know regarding Christmas presents or gift giving, I know, brace yourself for this, it only came about in the 1800s. For 1800 years, people did not exchange gifts like we do. Uh Uh-oh, what is going on? So what is Nathan advocating for? Burn all the gifts. No, I'm not advocating for that. Anyway, right? So, so it, didn't even, it didn't even appear until the 1800s, okay? This is really important. Yet in some ancient birthday celebrations, 
uh, again, for kings and special figures, the people would participate in a, in a celebration. And that celebration might include dancing or sacrifices. It might include gift giving. And the gifts would not only be to the king or to the leader, but they would give gifts to each other to celebrate this new person being installed. Understand why, though. Uh, if it was a king who was being installed, the people celebrated because there was hope of justice. There was hope of peace. There was hope that their nation or their particular place was safe. That's what we wanted in a leader. Now, we don't have that hope anymore. We're just like, okay, vote for that guy. If he doesn't get in, we'll move on, right? I mean, that's just kind of how we do it today. But they looked to this person as a great deal of hope, and so they would celebrate this. The important thing to remember was that uh, all of this gift giving, all of this celebration was suitable for the particular occasion. In other words, the fanfare was designated to reflect the celebration. And in these particular instances, it was the person being celebrated. King, awesome. We should celebrate this particular person. Let's compare that to modern day Christianity, which has only a veneer of uh, being about Jesus. And what we see is the exchanging of gifts, a lot of talk about family, drinking eggnog, and depending on how it's made, a lot more eggnog, uh, baking cookies, <laughs> baking cookies. Uh, but to what end, guys? To what end? Don't shake your head at eggnog. I don't even want to see it, Tim. Anyway, <laughs> you, we'll just get you some better eggnog. That's all I have to say. Anyway, baking cookies. What, to what end, though? What, what's the end of all of this? We don't even know anymore. Man on the street interview, you should just go on YouTube. Man on the street interview, what's Christmas about? You will be depressed. You will be depressed. And you'll even be depressed when they interview the people at Chick-fil-A. I mean, it's bad. Nobody seems to know. And Chick-fil-A, come on. Everybody should know that at Chick-fil-A, right? So we've lost sight of who Jesus is. We've lost sight of what this season truly is about. Now, before I get emails from you, please hear me. Doing Christmassy things is wonderful. Doing Christmassy things, exchanging gifts, drinking eggnog, celebrating, singing hymns, all of that stuff. There's no problem with these things whatsoever. But we really do need to make our festivities, the fanfare that we're, we're putting out there, reflect the celebration at hand. Remember, back in the day, a king, a key religious figure would come on the scene and they would celebrate because there was freedom. We celebrate because there's freedom. Amen? We celebrate because it's King Jesus. We do not celebrate because hopefully mom gets me a new Nintendo, right? I mean, that was my life when I was younger, but that's not how it works today, right? We're celebrating uh, the arrival and hopefully soon the second coming of our king. In order to recapture this truth, though, king, uh, of King Jesus, right, and what he is, I think what we need to do is we need to rewind in the story, and we need to see what people saw when Jesus came on the scene. When we understand what they saw when Jesus came on the scene, I think it can rewire us. So uh, let's look in Luke chapter 1. A lot of this will be on the screen. Well, all of it will be on the screen, but if you want to follow along, you can Look it up in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Luke 1, this is during Mary's visit with her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant also at the time. Uh, we see the first reaction to Jesus' coming, and I love this reaction. When Mary enters Elizabeth's house, 
the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. This is what the text says. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. That's kind of a fun story, isn't it, right? This baby, whom we come to know to be John the Baptist, actually jumps up and down at the presence of Jesus. This isn't just a birthday, right? This isn't just, hey, I got a cool cousin, <laughs> right? This is, this is something bigger. My cousin can walk on water. Anyway, no. So there's something bigger going on here. So Mary arrives, Jesus is in the womb, and another baby inside of a womb jumps up and down. That's amazing. I love that story. I love that reaction. The next reaction to Christ's Christ's advent was uh, what happens when the baby jumps inside of Elizabeth's womb. It says, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, there's a way to get the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That's pretty impressive. Okay. This This is truly astounding to me. Number one, because the first two reactions to the incarnate king of the universe, church, were from a child and a woman. That is amazing to me. They're just jumping up and down. That's beautiful. Number two, because it demonstrates that the Holy Spirit indwelled people even before Pentecost. Which means there's an understanding we need to come to about what Pentecost was really about. Now, I don't have time to go into that today, but here's what I want you to know. It seems that what was happening here with Elizabeth and John the Baptist and her being filled with the Holy Spirit was actually a foreshadowing of what was to come on Pentecost, which is God fulfilling the promise that he spoke eons before in the prophet Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. You you really need to study this if you haven't. And if you have Pentecostal or charismatic upbringing, you really need to take heart of the words that are said here. And not the things that you think are said here. This is really important. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Whenever this happens, what takes place is that the spirit of God is given to all flesh, one translation says. Why is the spirit given to all flesh? Here's my opinion. Here's my opinion. I've studied it. I've given some time to it. I believe the reason why at Pentecost the Spirit of God was poured out on all flesh, and not just people who ask for it, but all mankind. It doesn't say to just the Jews. It doesn't say to just the Christians. It says all mankind. Why? Because through that Spirit, our ears and our hearts can receive, and all mankind can receive, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the good news of salvation to all men and all mankind just got this beautiful gift. What a powerful story. So it says that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. This is a prophecy spoken to Jews, mind you, right? But look at what it goes on to say. Your young men will see vision. Even on male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. In other words, all y'all get in the Spirit. That's a pretty impressive idea, okay? And I believe we know why. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and it is spoken to us or received or uh, triggered in us 
what have you, through God's great spirit. Something monumental, though, has happened in this situation. Uh, This was not simply the reaction of a baby being born. This would have been over the top for just a birthday, right? Consider what Mary says, for behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. Guess what's still true? All generations count Mary blessed. You can pick on the Catholics if you want to because they probably do get something wrong in their worship of Mary, right? Not probably. Anyway, so they they get something wrong in this. But the truth is, all generations are following in God's word. They They count Mary blessed. They continue to do so. A few verses earlier, we observed Elizabeth's greeting. And she, Elizabeth, cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So Elizabeth starts the whole thing, and it just keeps going. And everybody's worshiping, or everybody's praising Mary. Some are worshiping her, but anyway, right? If Elizabeth was only responding to the miracle of a virgin bearing a child, then I guess that blessing would make a little bit of sense, right? But what comes next wouldn't. Listen to these next words. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Elizabeth seems to be expecting something more than, cool, a cousin for my baby John, right? Something more is going on here. Elizabeth called this baby Lord. Jesus wasn't even out of the womb, and Elizabeth recognizes something that most people today can't seem to grasp. So Mary responds with this, God has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. This is Mary's response to the baby she's carrying? That's unbelievable. Mary is not expecting just a baby, church. She's expecting a baby that's going to bring down thrones. A baby that brings down rulers. So let's just have some eggnog and put up a tree and say Merry Christmas, get mad at all of our family because they don't do what we want, and then look forward to it next year. That's just stupid with a capital S there. This, does, this makes no sense. And then we allow the message to be co-opted, and so we give it to the world, and the world doesn't even know what to do with it. Christmas is just a joke in its... Uh, truest sense now because or in its sense now compared to its true sense it just doesn't make sense okay that was the reaction of just Mary her cousin and two babies in the womb that's pretty awesome reaction let's talk about angels for a second Luke's account tells uh, that the shepherds were in the field and they're taking care of their their sheep and it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him So this wasn't just any angel. There's argument that can be made that the angel of the Lord referred to an archangel, so maybe Michael or Gabriel. It's also very clear, you should study on this. I recommend Dr. Heiser on a lot of this stuff on angels and demons. But He gives very clear evidence that the angel of the Lord is often referring to God himself. The angel of the Lord is God himself. So It's really powerful, but in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, this angel proclaims, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So now we've got a guy bringing down rulers and bringing down thrones, and he's the Savior of people. 
Added to Mary's prophecies, Luke chapter 1, of all of this, we see the child's authority, we see the child's restitution, we see that he receives a title and his provenance. Where does he come from? God. He is God. The heavenly hosts join with the shepherds. They sing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. This is a big, big, big deal. Now, we have a baby born in the city of David. The baby's born to a virgin. That's all pretty magnificent. He was expected to bring peace to all men now, and he's doing that through toppling thrones. This is far more than happy birthday Jesus. In the second chapter of Luke, we're introduced to Simeon. There's another uh, reaction that we're going to find. When Jesus' parents come to present Jesus in the temple, Simeon takes the baby into his arms, and here's what he declares. It'll be on the screen. Now, Lord... You are releasing your bondservant, that was Simeon saying, you're releasing me to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, a savior, salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon was proclaiming the advent of a peace bringer. How many of you want to know the peace bringer? How many of you want to meet the peace bringer? How many of you are tired of the tension in our world and wish he would bring peace now and get this whole COVID mess over with, right? Simeon is proclaiming the advent of a peace bringer. This baby in his arms would bring peace to the Gentiles and would bring peace and fulfillment to the Jewish people. Simeon's reaction was a revelation of glory for the Jews. They had been waiting for the seed of Abraham for years. The consolation of Israel had been, uh, had been uh, prophesied for uh, a long time. So they didn't see his glory, though, and that's a tragic situation. Even the covenant people of God missed it when he showed up. Who did Jesus come for? Ultimately, all people. Who did he come to? His people. That means they could see him. And what did he say? He said, I'm grieved. I'm grieved because I stand here, present for you. I'm a, it's like a hen trying to gather its chicks under its wings, and you won't be gathered. I'm here for you, and you're rejecting me. What's going on with this? It's tragic. But the truth is, People reject him all day, every day. Just as his covenant people rejected him years ago. They didn't see his glory. Israel missed what was right in front of them. Not Simeon, though. And this is a fun piece to remember when we think about passages like Romans 13. No one seeks after God. No, not one. Simeon was the exception to the rule because we've misinterpreted Romans 3, of course. Here's what Simeon, he received the consolation of Israel with arms wide open. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. I've seen it, and now I get to go. (laughs) God, give somebody else my job. I'm done. This is good. Elizabeth sees it. Mary sees it. Simeon sees it. Each one of these people responds uh, to the magnitude of what's happening in a right way. Because it's not just happy birthday Jesus. It's not just Christmas in America. 
There's something bigger about what's happening here. So the seed of Abraham, I mentioned that Jesus was the seed of Abraham. Let's examine that a bit further. Allusions to this seed began back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Listen to what was said in Genesis. It says that the seed will crush the serpent's head and you will strike his heel. Although the serpent might strike, according to the, script, uh, the scripture, some versions translate it, bruise the seed's heel. Uh, ultimately, the, seal, the seed is going to crush the serpent's head. The seed of Abraham is Jesus, and the seed was intended to destroy the enemy, the devil, and right the wrongs of the curse, okay? Uh, this, is, this is all about what's happening, right? Redeeming the fall, repealing the curse. This is what Jesus came to do. In Genesis twenty two eighteen, 18, God told Abraham, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. There's another one who didn't uh, adhere to an improper rendering of Romans 3. Abraham sought after God, obviously. He pleased God. He walked by faith. You see it again and again. So, so Abraham is now pleasing God, obeying God's voice. This promise continued throughout the biblical narrative, from Genesis 3.15 to Genesis 22 and on. We see the seed mentioned over and over. Psalm 132, verse 11, the seed was the fruit of the body of David. That's how the, the scripture renders it. In Micah 7.20 and Matthew 1, the seed was the Messiah, the son of David, or the son of Abraham. In Acts chapter 3, verse 25, and Romans 4, 13, the seed is King Jesus. Looking back to Genesis 22, we read this. In your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This doesn't make sense unless we understand that the seed is actually a person. It's not just a bunch of kids for Abraham. There is a singular seed, right? And that he would bring worldwide peace and blessing. That is exactly what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to bring peace. He came to bring blessing. He came to bring hope. We just need to see it. And then we need to love him and worship him, honor him, rejoice in him, and then share that message with the whole world. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Uh, there's a, an amazing ball here. Uh, Gentile Christians will, will love this. We should all love this as Gentiles. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Take note of that, that who was considered separate from Christ? Who was considered separate from Christ? It was the Gentile. What is implied uh, in the Jewish life? They were not separate from Christ. That's amazing. They weren't separate. But the Gentile was. The Gentile was separate, and they were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers to the covenants of promise, which those covenants and those promises all were about Jesus, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love that hope for all of us because this is what Christmas is about. This is what we're a part of. As strangers to the covenant, Gentiles had no hope but the seed, <laughs> but Jesus. The seed enters the picture in verse 13, bringing us near through Christ's blood. Why did God do this? Because the promise given to Abraham was to bless the whole world. It was not just to bless Israel alone. Verse 14 of 
uh, of Ephesians. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier, the dividing wall. So this is what Jesus comes to do. This is the seed of Abraham. He breaks down that wall. He, he unites Jew and Gentile, those who have the covenant promises, those who are partakers with Christ, the Christ to come, and those who are now partakers with the Christ who came and bled and died for all of humanity. Verse 15 continues, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Jesus abolishes the enmity uh, in his flesh to fulfill the law. But in this fulfillment, this is important for modern Christians to hear, we don't get off scot-free from the law, right? We're, We're not... We're not antinomian. We don't just get to run our own ship here. We aren't against the law either, although most modern churches seem to portray this idea. It's grace, 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 grace. Yeah, in view of mercy, present your body as a living sacrifice, right? In view of mercy, do what he said. (laughs) Darn it. No, it's great because the laws of God are actually a joy if we understand them. We aren't against any of that. Rather, we understand that we can't earn our way to God. But guess what? That was never the purpose of the law. The law was never given so we would earn our way to God. It was given as a a way of holding us, as a way of protecting us, securing us, keeping us. But the second we take religious things, we twist them upside down and pervert them, all of a sudden we've forgotten about Jesus and the whole thing. That's what we do with everything. We've done this with the church too. The church was not given so that we could get to heaven. The church was given so that we could walk beside each other, so that we would be a cord of three strands, so that we would not fall into a pit and have nobody to pick us up, right? We were given the church so that we could represent Jesus and uh, proclaim his name into the world. We were given the church so that we could sharpen each other. We were given the church so I could punch you in the nose on Sundays. No, that's not actually why we were given the church, but it's really fun punching you in the nose. Anyway, this is what this is all about. So the law, too, it was given for another purpose, and we screwed it up. Jesus, who is our peace bringer, brought peace by abolishing enmity, uh, the enmity of the law, by breaking down a dividing wall that separated Jew and Gentile and reconciling both of us in one body, giving us all access by the Spirit to the Father. Uh, This is another reason why the Spirit must be given at your salvation, at at what God is doing in your life when you you come to know Him or... uh, to, to dwell within you. Why is this a necessity? Because you can't please God without that spirit. You can't know the Father. He is the one who is your liaison. By building his church on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, God has set us, uh, set Christ as the cornerstone and set us with a family in this world. He's given us a family in this life. That's an amazing thing. We should keep that in mind when we think about the church and the glory of it. So the message of the Advent story is that God never meant to leave salvation with just Israel, but that the covenant he made included the whole world and was validated through King Jesus 2,000 years ago. I love that story. During Advent, though, we should turn our focus back to what is worthy of celebration, We should celebrate because the seed who came 2,000 years ago 
was the peace bringer, was the reconciler. He was the one who was going to topple thrones and kingdoms. He is the one who is, uh, who is king. As the song said this morning, he is the one uh, on whose shoulder all the governments of the world rest. That's why we celebrate Christmas. This is beautiful in every way, church. If we do see this, we'll never be tempted to go into this season and just check off our Christmas boxes. Cool, we celebrated Christmas. Good. No, 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 no. So much more than this. It is our privilege to worship uh, King Jesus. It is, it's an amazing thing to be able to uh, celebrate and exchange gifts and to sing songs because we've been redeemed. Each and every one of us has been redeemed. So here's how I want to wrap up today. Uh, there's a story in the, old, in, the old, uh, in the New Testament of an old covenant prophetess. Um, her name is Anna. And she was waiting patiently for the Lord. Again, one more of those people who defy uh, the misreading of Romans 3, right? She's waiting patiently for the Lord. Her story is recorded in Luke chapter 2, verse 36 and 38. Listen to this. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, that just means she's old, and had lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage. And then, as a widow, to the age of 84, okay? She did not leave the temple grounds, serving night and day with fasts and prayers, and at that very moment, the moment that Simeon held baby Jesus in his arms, she comes up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak about him to all those who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. It's a little hard to interpret, I think, for some, but uh, Anna gets married, she lives for seven years, her husband dies, and the rest of her life, to this ripe old age, she never leaves the temple. Daily, she's going, calling out, seeking God, searching for him, yearning for him, longing for the consolation of Israel. This is somebody who understood the magnitude of what was about to show up, right? You do not dedicate your life for 80 years praying to God to give the consolation of Israel if, number one, no one seeks after God. You just don't do it. That's a contradiction in the Bible. And number two, you don't do this unless you know this is more than a birthday. This is a king. This is a lord. This is a throne toppler. This is the one who's going to win everything. This is the one who's going to set everything to right. This lady knows what she's looking for, right? And it's an amazing, amazing, amazing truth. The Christmas season should be filled with spirits that are like Mary's, who long for uh, a ruler and a reigner, uh, for Elizabeth, who's looking for somebody to overthrow the governments of the world through his peace, like Simeon, who's waiting for the consolation of Israel, like Anna, who is waiting all of her life for this. We have to understand the significance of what we're worshiping. This might require changing our hearts and minds. Let me rephrase that. This requires us changing our hearts and minds. It requires us humbling ourselves and realizing that God transformed human history through this thing we call Advent, the coming of King Jesus, the coming of our peace bringer. 
Jesus is the seed of Abraham, and he is worthy of far more than the typical Christmas celebration. He's worthy of wholehearted worship. He's worthy of us telling our kids all about him versus spoiling our kids, right? Christmas is about being a people who look straight into the Scripture to the God who redeemed us and finally understand what Anna and Simeon understood, what they hoped for, what they longed for. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about other key um, aspects of Advent, other key aspects of who King Jesus was. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's conquering king, all of that. Um, But we need to understand it in its right context because there were people in Jesus' day that thought what conquering king meant was Jesus was going to take on the Romans and toss them out. And then he didn't do it, and they panicked. They thought, we backed the wrong horse. We don't even know what we're doing here. But there is, there's amazing things that come about with what the Scripture says, or there's amazing things to understand with what the Scripture says about what Jesus came to bring about. Okay? So there is a lot to this. In the Advent, Jesus ushered in the beginning of uh, a key truth. An inaugurated kingdom that 2,000 years later still hasn't been consummated, but it will be when the second advent shows up. Amen? When Jesus returns, and then everything is done. It is set. It is perfect. Until then, what should we be celebrating at Christmas? King Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords. Can you do that with gifts? Yeah, do it. Just remember And tell your kids why you're doing it. Can you do that with lots of food and eggnog? Good eggnog. Sure. (laughs) Do it. Sorry, Tim. I'm still like, can't get there, man. It's okay. Do something else, right? Can, Can you do that with those things? Absolutely, you can. You can celebrate. But celebrate the king. Celebrate the king. Don't let December 24th and December 25th come and go. Uh, leaving you, waiting for next year, that hopefully you can get it right and make you feel better. No, no, no. Let's get it right now. Let's set our minds, our hearts, our kids' minds, and their hearts to King Jesus.